0: And we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So as we start off this new year, I thought, why don't we talk about something that I've never discussed before? And discussed is the appropriate word because this show might disgust you because uh, we're going to talk about slime. And if you don't know already, you're probably like, oh, slime, that's gross. Um, let me be the first to tell you that it is the coolest thing on the planet. It is versatile. Uh, it is it has been around forever. It's a fundamental part of being a human being. So get used to it. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. uh, And I've got the perfect guest to do it. And that's Suzanne Vedlich, who wrote the book Slime and Natural History. And she is the foremost slime expert. So I can't wait to get into this. So Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, you know, this is what, what I, I love this stuff. You know, From what I understand, I've watched a lot of your lectures, a lot of stuff online, and people are hesitant to discuss slime with you. I don't get it. I was super excited about this, and I was actually disappointed... Uh, you know, take no offense by this, but I saw that you were in Germany and it was a, the, the original book was written in German and I was afraid translation, the language barrier would be a problem, but clearly it is not. Now, the funny thing for you to do right now would be to go so, a string of German. <laughs> Tell me your answer in German. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but that's great. I love it. I mean, this is, uh, this is, this is a perfect way to talk about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say that not only isn't there a language barrier, but I think that English is uh, English is so much better when it comes to slime because you have so really? many so many words for it. You know, of course, slime and mucus and and goo and ooze, and you you already know what it is even if you don't know the word, right? You can hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, in, in at least in America, you know, we call people slime balls. We call them slees. You know, scuds. This is all kind of the same thing, actually. Uh, you know, uh, goo gunk. Uh, you know my, my my Hasidic friends call it schmutz. Uh, you know you've got gelata. Uh, I got a whole list here. We're gonna do this early on of what what this is. let me see this is what I got from your book. Let me see if we've got a, a, a comprehensive list here uh, mucus, mucilage, mesoglia, marine snow, um, biological hydrogel biological soil crust is also a slime glyco glycocalyx, biofilm, biological hydrogel They're like pretty good yeah yeah? yeah. Good so, choice. <laughs> so, uh, so before we get, before we dive into slime here, before we discuss what, what it is, what in the world it is that we're talking about here, I want to know a little bit about your background because the one thing I couldn't find a lot of is, you know, where, wh- how you got into this, you know, your science background, your journalistic background, some of it is, is, you know, a lot of it's in German and I couldn't do all the translation. So tell me, where did you come from and how did you get into slime?
1: Yeah. Um just just an accident basically (laughs) so i didn't uh, go out to look for the most disgusting uh, thing that's out there Uh, i'm a biologist a biologist and a political scientist but i never worked as a researcher so i dove right into science journalism early on but back then um when i started out you know everyone was supposed to be a generalist You, you were supposed to write about whatever Physics, uh, the stars, biology. Um, So I didn't have that one story that was really mine. And uh, I, yeah, I I stumbled over slime in a sense, uh, because uh, I read an article (laughs) in in the magazine, The Scientist,
0: uh,
1: about snail slime. And that was absolutely fascinating for me, because first, as a biologist, I never thought about slime before. Not as a a thing, you know, of course, everyone knows about things that they know slime. slime. But not, is is it an actual thing that you can describe? Um, And then the story was that snails communicate via their slime trails. That means that, for example, males find their females because they can read foreign slime trails and they can they can see from the slime what species is is she male is it is it is it a female is it a male is she healthy is she pretty stuff like that and even which direction did she go no one really knows how how they know this how, right. do you, how do how you know if she went left or right? And that just sucked with me, you know. I, I, yeah, that right. that article basically moved with me around the world um, to, to Boston and back to Germany, and always thought, okay, I should dig deeper. I should find out if there's more, sure. because it seemed it, it seemed so unlikely that only snails have uh, a cool slime, a mm. slime that can do stuff, mm. and everyone else all has the boring stuff, the garbage slime, you know?
0: Right. right. <laughs> so there's a hierarchy of slime. So there's cool slime, and then there's the garbage slime. And you want to make sure that there's no such thing as garbage slime, that it's all has some function, some purpose uh, in the-, the- yeah, In
1: a sense. In a sense. I mean, I didn't know it back then. And uh it took me ten years to actually find the time when I was between jobs and I thought, okay, it's now or never. Mm-hmm. Let's see if there's more more interesting slimes. But of course, I thought I maybe with luck uh, write a book that you know like the funny science stuff that you get mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. as you have maybe the snails and the microbes and humans and hagfish mm-hmm. a few organisms, right. and then you 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 give the background in the science and that's it. I yeah, it, it took me years actually years to find out that all organisms produce slime, that all these slimes are somewhat similar, that Mm -hmm. they're all cool and that we all need them. And yeah, the book is the result of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I love this, the snail stuff. I got, I've got a whole section of notes on the snail and petal mucus, I believe is what it's called. Uh, but it's, you know, could you imagine how much easier your 20s would be if you could just see a trail or even a perfume trail of a man or woman or some you know, whatever you're interested in. And you could tell everything you needed to know just by Absolutely. smelling or seeing how gr- I mean, how easy would that be? Humans have it hard. You know, snails have it pretty yeah, easy, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, research still going on if, if we actually smell the pheromones, what they tell mm-hmm. us. And but I think we're right. really bad when it, when it comes to gnosis, <laughs> even worse when it comes to slime. But the slime is all there. I mean, we're all slimy, even yeah. if we like to uh, ignore that fact, but it's it's just there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting because, you know, uh, I think it I don't know if this is what you meant to do. But in the book, when I finished it, I realized that in a lot of ways, the book Slime and Natural History, is really the longest definition of slime ever. Because essentially, the book is the definition, because there are so many different ways to interpret. It is an incredible spectrum of stuff. And I think eventually, you come up with, if it walks like a slime, talks like a slime, it's a slime. Because in the book, I think you specifically say, if it looks like a slime, behaves like a slime, is regarded as a slime, or even catches your, meaning you, the author's, attention. Uh, In a slime-like way, it belongs in this book. Uh, I do love that confidence, that swagger you had there, Suzanne, about putting yourself in the definition as if you are, you know, the uh, king, the queen, the queen maker of slime. Um, But I like that. So tell me, how did you, I mean, how do you narrow it down or how is it that, is it really that big? Is there a spectrum? Is that accurate? Give me something here.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, what you call swagger was desperation, really, <laughs> um, because, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I researched the whole thing more than three years. And yeah. even at the end, I wasn't sure if what I saw as a slime, you know, that, that whole family of biological. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about play slimes, you know, that, that yeah. kids yeah. create. And that's just fun. And I'm not talking about slime. That's a product of de- decay. If, if a biological body rots. Of course, it will not go from solid to to fluid just like that. There will be slimy faces in between, but that's just disorder. That's the slime that happens. It doesn't do anything. So I'm talking about all Ah. those... Um, fascinating biological slimes be that microbes make them plants animals or humans and these are all similar but i Mm -hmm. I couldn't be back then i couldn't be too sure about that because even scientists i mean they're human after all sure right (laughs) and uh, there are so many papers where they say okay we have this new species and it's uh, producing a fascinating sticky secretion Mm -hmm. end of story and to me it was okay Please tell me more because right, I need yeah. to know is this what I would call a slime or not? But usually the the research didn't even go there. Mm-hmm. But there were so many examples. And you know, if if it's sticky, if it's somewhat slimy, or they say a slimy secretion, then I right. said, okay. For me, that's that's enough. If, if the animal uses it to, to stick to the wall or whatever, <laughs> yeah. then obviously it's in that slime family. And that's sure. what I meant um, with that quote. It, it's entirely possible that someone comes along and says, okay, this one particular slime that you mentioned in the book, technically maybe it's, it's not a slime. There's not enough water in it or whatever the definition would be. Right. But to me, I'm just talking about this phenomenon that all organisms produce that kind of material.
0: Got it. Well, and, and because it's, you mentioned water, but water's key to this because essentially these things are like, like a, a slime is like 99, 97 to 99% water. I think you even, you may have, it was either your quote or someone else, it says it's just stiff water. Uh, but but it has some fascinating properties. And you also mentioned that slime is more of a characteristic than a substance. And it really represents what exists between a solid and and a liquid, Uh, which I love that you also put an example in your book about how someone described cats as somewhere between a solid and a liquid. And an octopus, I mean, I think an octopus Mm -hmm. can fit through any opening that's the size of its beak, the only hard part on its body. So this is, you know, in some way, I mean, would you, an octopus isn't a slime, but it clearly utilizes slime. But I love this, this, it's the junction between a liquid and a solid that is usable. And, And I like that you mentioned that you kind of delineated between what is a useful, purposeful slime that gives an organism an advantage in its environment versus when something breaks down or even, you know, molds in your refrigerator and just becomes gross. Um, it's not really a purpose of that. Although, let me ask you this, wouldn't that be a slime? That's like a biofilm. So if a bunch of bacteria and fungus are on your banana or in your, you know, your your spoiled cream cheese, that is still a slime that's a purpose, correct? Excellent point.
1: Absolutely correct. Oh. I mean, um, the but that's, not the the decay product then, of course. So if you have a tissue that breaks down and Mm. there's a lot of water in there, and that's, of course, the octopus, like us, is actually very close to a slime. So our, our tissues, our cells... That's that's not clear water that's in there that's bound so mm-hmm. we have that squishy <laughs> yeah. quality it's just that we have the bones of course so we we can't squeeze through but in a <laughs> sense we're somewhat slime like and sure. if you have a banana that breaks down then at first it's it's slimy and that's that's just a slime yeah that's that's just rotting slime yeah. you know because it's not like the water flows out it's still bound sure um and then of course the microbes settle on it and their slime is absolutely the top slime that's out there. Sure. I mean, oh, it is.
0: Like,
1: yeah, the that's top shelf slime. slime.
0: That's the good stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah I well, mean, even I have to say that the, the uh, plucks that we have on our teeth and
0: oh, you are like still that still busy too.
1: scrubbing off twice a day. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's a great slime. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but
0: yeah. <laughs> well, what, what makes it so, I mean, what makes it so great? Why do you like it so much? I mean, you know, why are you defending? Why are you defending teeth plaque? What are you doing here, Suzanne?
1: Uh, because it's highly organized. So okay. there are there are papers um, where the scientists have <sighs> actually looked into those plaques to see uh-huh. what's in there. How, how do microbes live in there? And yeah. usually we have more than one species in in that kind of slime, and they're completely like like different, like. Yeah, like neighborhoods, you know, mm-hmm. ones uh, that, that can't tolerate oxygen that may be deep down and there may be the pH is, is different. Mm-hmm. And then others are on the side and they're like in circles. But we don't see that. What we see is just the gunk. It's, it's gross, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you see how great it is um, or you can deduce it from the fact that we still have to scrub it off. I mean, we, we built rockets and whatnot and the internet and everything, but still we have to use a brush to get rid of that slime (laughs) because it's so resilient. It's so robust that there's, there's no way. I mean, obviously dentists, everyone would love it if you could, could just, I don't know. Smaller something and and get rid of it, right? But that's not possible. It's it's just too resilient.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I like. I mean, what I love about your passion for slime is how you know, in some ways, enamored. Hope that's not too strong of a word. You are with the physical properties and just how prevalent slimes really are and how useful they are. Because I was going through the book, and this is by no means you know a comprehensive list. But slime does so much cool stuff with just simple adjustments. So, for example, snails use it for movement. They use it to, to adhere to the ground, but also to slide across it. And one of your lectures, I think you describe it or quote someone is describing. It's how a one-footed animal walks on chewing gum is basically what a snail is. But jellyfish use it as a structure for, for their bodies. Frogs use it to catch prey. Um, and, and it's kind of like an adhesive, but like a chitin. I remember being down in, in Florida and going and seeing like the little chitins, which are mollusks that look like a, a, a long, elongated silver dollar. It's like an ellipse that just is stuck onto the rock uh, with, with a suction that I thought it had a suction cup. But it's slime, it's goo, it's hydrogel. Um, That's what's keeping it there. So lots of different properties, all based on how, you know, either what's secreted or the combination. Now, that to me was fascinating. And I imagine that, that, is that kind of what brought you into it? Or what was your favorite part of this?
1: Yeah, um, it was at least one of my favorite parts. I mean, at first it was, of course, it's a thing. It's a real thing. You can describe it and it's everywhere and everyone uses it. Uh, and it can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that whole level of why why am I, I like the first one to write a book on this, or at least a book that tries to cover all the different slime aspects right. uh, that are there? Why isn't that better known? You know. And then you look into um, what 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 the research it, 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 like the marine snails that you mentioned, like the chitons. It's it's funny in a sense that for centuries people men tried to figure out how those animals just stuck to the ground stick to the ground and you can't get them off yeah and of course everyone thought i must be a muscle or a suction cup right it's (laughs) just slime i mean it's just stiff water that can do that (laughs) and actually these glues Uh are so interesting because you have like it's a whole new field of research where Mm. they try to figure out how the animals do it because we need better glues ours Usually don't work underwater. Mm-hmm. I, everyone knows that your bandaid fall, will fall off if you if you take a shower, for mm-hmm. example. Right. And uh, very often they are toxic, so you can't use them to uh, to just put a wound to, to glue it together, mm-hmm. which would be much more elegant than to, to staple it or right. um, whatever, whatever they're doing. Um, but it's, it's really hard because these slimes, believe it or not, the stiff water is so complex yeah. that it's not easy to figure out how they're working and then to imitate them. Of course, that's right. that's a whole new level then.
0: Well, I mean, because understanding it in a lab, how it works is much different than manufacturing it on an industrial yeah. scale. <laughs> that is, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm sure 3M is super interested in, in how all this stuff works. But I think... You know, I think part of the reason and you kind of go into this in your book, why why this hasn't been researched and even why I think in some ways that people don't want to talk about your book or, or talk about this topic is there's this almost I'm going to call I'm going to I'm going to lay it out there. I'm going to say it's a slightly immature approach that slime is just gross and no one wants to hear about it. And I think it's because you know, there's this slime. It, it it makes us it revolts us it it causes you know revulsion and when we see it it's an it's a natural instinct it's hardwired into our DNA to avoid things that are slimy we definitely don't want to eat them and we want to stay away from them to keep from infections I mean do you think that this is why people don't want to talk about it and where do you think that that comes from and is it even still relevant today.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely relevant. Um, And I think because, you know, of course, slime, yes, it's a universal disgust trigger in a sense. Um, But uh, the reactions aren't everywhere as strong as they're here, let's say, in industrialized uh, countries. Okay. Where... Of course, we've just outsourced all slimes. So we all have <laughs> all the sanitary equipment. We don't care for our sick at home, usually, hmm. things like that. So slime isn't there in our everyday life, maybe when having sex. Hmm. Right. <laughs> but that's a very of gooey course, endeavor. Bro- yeah. 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 Exactly. Or maybe some foods, because you said hmm. it's hardwired. It's not exactly hardwired, because hmm. um, in all cultures, there are traditional foods and dishes right. that people love to eat when they grew up with them. Mm-hmm. But if you try them later on, if you're like a foreigner and try them for, the usually it's just too gross. And very often they're slimy or maybe the smell <laughs> right. is really strong. Right. So as a kid, uh, we, we have to learn that yeah. that's, we have to learn in a sense that slime is disgusting. And that's, I mean... It, it makes sense because disgust is supposed to keep us away from from pathogens and parasites, which we can't see, so we can't perceive them. If, if you take corona, we will all be, let's say, on a train and someone's coughing behind you. Then are you totally disgusted? I mean, of course we're sensitized in a sense, but it would be different if you could just see the virus <laughs> right, on yeah. the train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but we don't have the sense uh, to see it, so we we need the disgust to to react to. Like smell like slime, where very often there are microbes involved. This Mm -hmm. is like a symptom of a potential contamination. Mm -hmm. But um, our disgust usually wants to go over the top. It would like to keep us away from everything that's potentially dangerous. Yeah. But then our everyday life we need to eat, and usually people want to have sex. Mm-hmm. so we we meet in the middle between disgust and our needs. yeah, but in in industrialized uh, countries, usually we don't deal with slime on an everyday basis. And I just think that our disgust is now completely over the top. It's not it's not being checked by anything right. And that's why we react so strongly. I mean, even like you said or or alluded to that uh, many booksellers here in Germany refuse to stock the book. Which I would I say isn't disgusting. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's It's not a funny book. Or it's about real science. But they didn't want to have it in the shop, hmm. even though they will stock everything else. You know, no detective novel could be too gruesome. Um, sure, right. Or sex is not a problem. But uh, a nonfiction book on slime, oh, no.
0: Right, that, that's one step too far. <laughs> I mean, it's weird how different. I mean, there's so much in what you said. I want to I want to touch on, but it is weird how you know. I mean, even in the United, I mean, the United States is the biggest. I mean, we are the biggest, uh, you know, hypocrites in the world. We'll show people getting killed uh, on television with a million guns, but sex is off. You can't see a woman's breast. It's like it's off limits. I mean, we're such a puritanical society. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Well, I want to go back to this disgusting because there's a couple of interesting things here that 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 I want to hear your thoughts on. So first of all, I. I think I think our disgust response is hardwired, but it has to be trained, which is what you're saying. And so you can in some ways figure out when that disgust factor should and should not kick in. And I will say, you know, I've looked at the century egg, which I think is a delicacy in China. Um, and it, I mean, if you want just seeing a picture of it makes me get a gag reflex. I mean, it's I didn't grow up on it. It seems it's a delicacy. People love it. But that is something that is so foreign to what I'm used to that I think that's kind of what you're talking about as an example. And here's an interesting thing, um, because when you talk about sex, not only human sex, but in the animal kingdom, there is a lot of goo. But I was reading this article and this is what's fascinating about human intercourse is that we we as human beings, when we are aroused we actually turn off a lot of those disgust factors so things that would disgust you when you are when you're in an amorous situation all of that shut down Which is why people are into what they're into, right? And that's fascinating that your body and your mind has evolved to a point where, as you mentioned, you can have an aversion to goo or slime, but that's turned off because hey, we got to reproduce. If you don't, it's the end of the species. That's a cool little like backdoor that your brain is, you know, that's worked out. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you need to survive. Right, right yeah. So it's, in, in a sense, disgust or strong feeling of disgust is a luxury. So sure. It's a luxury right, that, yeah. you, that you can afford to throw the meat out that looks a bit dodgy.
0: Sure, yeah. But yeah, yeah.
1: you wouldn't throw it out and starve then. It just means you have something else. And there was, I think, just a year or so ago where there was a fascinating study on, on, on people living in, in the Amazon region. Mm-hmm. So one community, totally remote. and So no supermarket, nothing. Right, right. No fridge, no, no kitchen, <laughs> anything. <laughs> right. yeah. And of course, they have to deal with, with feces, animal feces, blood, mm-hmm. parasites. And if, if the only water that you get is, is that brown and obviously dirty river water, mm-hmm. then, yeah, then you will drink it. We all would drink it. Um, But uh, once they they move to to a city and uh, and they have a kitchen and some sort of hygiene and they have a supermarket, then the researchers noted that they were much more easily disgusted by things. Right. Even probably one one generation uh, moving to where you can afford it. And then if if you live uh, in a country like like the States or Germany, Mm -hmm. then you can afford a lot of disgust. Even to a point where I mean, when when I did the research and told people that I'm writing a book on slime, even the word "slime" was like, "Oh no, that's stupid." Even the word. I mean, that's
0: that's a bit much. That's a bit much. Yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) I mean, I was excited when I saw your book. I I have a whole list of of you know upcoming releases. When I saw it, I mean, it was like as soon as I saw it, I was like, I want to. I want to talk to her. I mean, this is just right up my alley because it's so versatile. But I, th- that that immediate discussion, I mean, the fact that it won't even stock it in bookstores, That that is, I mean, that's a, a bridge too far. But, um, but it's, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the science of slime because I think that... It is so. It has so many unique properties, and it's able to be so versatile. And I kind of want to understand why, um, because in the book you kind of say it's it's really water that is held together in a 3D framework, meaning it connects to other molecules that in some way create. What is normally a liquid and give it kind of prop it up, you know, weekend at Bernie style where it's not really a solid, but it kind of looks like a solid. Is that kind of how can you give me like this summary, uh, you know, eighth grade level uh, for me, maybe fifth grade level of like how this how slime actually works?
1: yeah but i mean you got it perfectly right i mean <laughs> a, a slime or biological slime is is almost only water mm. to maybe 90 and 97 98 but that is bound in a in a 3d framework of molecules huge molecules mm. um and uh at the the fascinating thing about that is, if if you think just you have a pot of water and you stir the water, yeah. I mean, you can stir it for days and weeks, and it will never change its behavior.
0: anyone? <laughs> do you think anyone's done that? Do you think anyone has actually stirred it just to make sure that that's true? Maybe after a hundred days of stirring Probably water, it becomes ice. Is I don't out know. There. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> the waters are still stirring.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and and the big difference is that if if you take slime mm. or biological slime, then it's. Almost the same. It's just water with a bit of an extra, and it will change the behavior if if the stress, the mechanical stress, mm-hmm. um, acts on it. It depends on what, what's acting on it. And in our body, for example, that I find completely fascinating. Our our body can change the behavior of our slimes just by changing the environment of the slime and then maybe it gets more sticky it's denser or more loose like it's it's always a barrier right you know, like the mucus that we know in the gut the airways everywhere it's it's a barrier that can't close off completely Well, in the gut you you need the nutrients to go through but pathogens are supposed to to stay out and and the body in a sense can change the behavior how closed off is that barrier or mm-hmm. how open is it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's the beauty of slime really
0: I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, the thing I like about it is, you know, I do this other podcast about pop culture science. And so one of the guys I have on the show, he's an expert in foam and foam, Mm -hmm. sand and hydrogels all share the same universal property, which is they look like one thing, but act like another. You know, uh, foam looks like a solid, but acts like a liquid. Uh, uh, Wait, no, is a liquid, but acts like a solid Uh, sand is made up of solid particles but acts like a liquid. And in some ways, hydrogel fits in the middle. It looks like a solid and a liquid and has properties of both. And I just I love these because they kind of, in some ways, mess with our human minds, which kind of require everything to be in categories. Like a solid does this, you know, at this temperature, it becomes a liquid, it becomes a steam. And it's just solid, liquid, gas. Plasma and whatever. There are a couple of little things in there. But that's what I love about slime. And that's why I was so excited is that it really exists in between the boundaries of solid and liquid. And it is not unprecedented. There are others to do that. But those things mess with the mind. Suzanne, did that kind of mess with your mind, too? Or did that excite you?
1: Absolutely, uh, I mean, like like the snails, like the the most banal example that's out there. A snail is yeah. crawling. Well, you you might think I love the snail.
0: No, no, I love the snail. I think it's cool. to call it banal. I mean, I think it's it's it, when you really break it down. In some ways, we're going to get to it in a second. It, it is one of the most fascinating creatures because it can do so much with it. It it utilizes it in such incredible ways. So I want to defend the snail. I'm pro snail, Suzanne. Uh, so I'm on your yeah, side. I,
1: I'm, yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, me too It's just that, if you, you know, you see it in the garden And you see the yeah. slime trail And it's maybe already drying out mm-hmm. or breaking up Yeah And it, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't look like much Mm-mm. And that uh, maybe weeks later Another snail can come along and, and read who went there And where did she go And do I like her Right That's just mind-blowing to me
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, what uh, Well, I, let, Let's get into snails I wanted to talk a little bit about Um about, uh, slime and pop culture, but we may, maybe we'll save that for a little bit later on. Cause that's a whole part of your book, but let's, let's talk about, let's talk about snails. Um, because you know, you have this, I mean, I think that they're kind of the poster child for slime, right? They have this petal mucus, um, you know, they can detect all of these different things. So in what ways can they really, first of all, what is an attractive snail? I mean, are we talking, eye stalk length, are we talking size? <laughs> like, wh- I mean, in your opinion as a human, what makes an attractive snail?
1: yeah i mean i'm I'm not the judge here. It seems that males like well-rounded females,
0: sure okay
1: <laughs> without parasites sure. and they 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 see that on the slime. you know sure. if she leaves some I don't know whatever it is that she leaves larvae or whatever, right. um then probably she's not too attractive, sure, but right. yeah, they like broad.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, so maybe, you know, maybe this is universal in the animal kingdom. Well-rounded, parasite-free mate is kind of what we're all... Isn't, that's, that, isn't that what we're all looking for, good. Suzanne? That's kind of what we're all...
1: Yeah, well, in a sense, especially
0: the parasite. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, here's a great story. I, I have to tell this story uh, along the lines here. This is from your book and you can... Ex- I'm going to give you uh, just rough details. I want you to tell the story, but you know, about the... I think it's the male rough periwinkle... And they outnumber females. I think it's 20 to 1 or something like that. And so tell me what happens when the female has eggs and too many people are knocking on the door trying to get her attention. How does that, as she kind of counteract that?
1: Uh, it seems that the females are able to to change their slimes. Mm-hmm. So that's in a sense a neutral slime. So that you can't read anything. It doesn't give anything away. Right. And uh, what's surprising to me is that the males haven't figured that out so (laughs) they're they're trying to look for messages and it seems that they end up following each other yeah (laughs) and um unless there's uh, some new studies out there that i haven't uh, read yet it's the species where researchers found the most unsuccessful and probably rather frustrating attempts to mate between males that only then found out that uh no,
0: doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I, this is, I mean, I love this story because, I mean, it's a perfect way for the female to kind of, you know, get the guys off her tail, a little bit literally and figuratively, but also that the guys haven't figured it out. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. maybe male stupidity is, again, another universal trait where, you know, you become so one track minded that you're like, I'm going after this thing and you don't figure it out. You're, yeah. the, the, the logic doesn't kick in where you say, hold on, wh- no, what, no. what am I chasing? <laughs> is it the right? Is this right for me? You yeah. know, uh, I, I love that that, that story. Um, so another one, you the uh, the um, the hagfish is another great another great slimy creature who, if I remember correctly, Can when it's in in when it's being when it's put in danger by a shark, let's say, it can shoot out a gob of slime that is so thick and viscous that it can actually choke a shark, and it's used Mm. as a a defense mechanism. That you know that I think there's there's people that are you know using trying to replicate that slime for military purposes. Uh, Is this Mm. accurate? And and what makes this slime so special?
1: Yeah, it's really. Uh, I mean, I've I've touched it, had <laughs> it in my hands, and it feels like, like a more like a textile. You, you can lift it up and you have it <laughs> like in a your hair, hands. Do you mean like? And then a, if, if
0: like... yeah, and, and if you drop it,
1: it will still stay here. You, you can't wash it off, Whoa. so you need to rub it off. Wow. Um, and it's so sticky and it's so heavy. Yeah. And it's. I I think the secret is that they produce like a, a special fiber that. As far as I'm aware, no one else has, uh-huh. and they are not actually shooting out the slime; just these fibers, and they they store them um, in their skin, yeah. and they are like these these spindles where you have like a wool wool thread wrapped up really? tightly, yeah. And then they shoot it out, and it will unravel and bind right away so much water that it's like a cloud of slime. And you can, I mean, anyone can uh, you can Google it. Sure, and yeah, are, you sure can. Um, <laughs> Um, And then you will see like a hagfish and shark, like the shark trying to bite or eat the hagfish. And then it just backs off. And it has like you see, it's like like a cloud around its head in the mouth, and the mouth stays, stays open. And then the shark just swims off. And I'm not sure if, if it gets rid of it. I mean, I've touched <laughs> that slime, and it's so sticky wow. and so heavy. I, I wouldn't know how a fish could get rid of it. No idea. Well, they like, couldn't, like, sneeze happened. it out.
0: But, You're saying, like, you, you think it's almost like Spider-Man, where it shot this web on the shark's head, and that's the mm-hmm. end of the shark. It can't get rid of it.
1: It, 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 looks, it looks like a gag. And I don't think that it wow. will dissolve. Um, very soon, because even this the, sla- the snail slime will stay for weeks. So that much thicker slime, yeah, no, no idea
0: Wow, what, what the shark did then. Well, and what's interesting about slime, just to go, let, let, you know, I'm jumping around here, I don't mean to, but I want to go back in the evolutionary time scale. So I did this great interview with a guy named Henry Gee, who wrote a book that is uh, 12, it's 12 chapters, and it basically walks you through the history of life on Earth. And he, you know, it's very fast forward. But what I like is he kind of talks about the important things in each kind of era. And in your book, you talk about how slime may be one of the oldest forms of not really life, but the basically the original thing. Like after, once you start having a unicellular creatures, they kind of get together. And when they get together, they create these films. So tell me about how, like how important slime was in the early like the early days of life and how that evolved to, you know, to be, I think you talk about the slime era. It's like, you know, it's they were, it was really defined that time.
1: I mean, like like we talked about before, the microbes and their super duper slime. Yeah. I mean, they had like billions of years before any multicellular animal showed up, right. right? And they used slime probably very early, if not right from the beginning. So I talked to researchers about that. And I mean, there's no imprint, of their slimes. No one knows when they started using it. Mm. But uh, I mean, like, like I said before, slime can happen in nature as well. Right. You have maybe some clay minerals and if they're in seawater, they can produce some sort of, of slime. And if the first microbes were in there, it was would have been a great protection. Or maybe they started doing it themselves sure. uh, because it, it's only water right, Stiff right, water. right so you yeah. need just some molecules to bind that water yeah. and then you have this great protective coat around you and then these microbes of course rather yeah rather early started gluing themselves together in a community and be protected like they do nowadays, like the microbes we have in our body. But I mean, cavities, that's a problem, obviously. But if you have them in your body and they produce those slimes, those biofilms, it's just incredibly hard to get rid of them because this is like a bunker. This is like a slime bunker. And and they used it for billions of years, basically. And then the first um, multicellular animals showed up and probably just like it's the case with our own body, mm-hmm. we're just a bunch of cells right. that have to be glued together, and right, that's yeah. slimy material. We, we call it the connective tissue, which is really just such a boring name for that great substance, but it's slime-like, and it's, we wouldn't be three-dimensional without that stuff.
0: Well, I like going back in the evolutionary timescale, because what's cool about when you look at biology and, and um, taxonomy, where you start to see how all everything diverges, when you come back to those those original points, to me, that's where you get the most variation, right? So that's why you have so many plants and so many animals, because they diverged very early on. So with slime being so old, to me, in some ways, that, that tells you exactly why, A, so many creatures have it, because it's a building block, and, and, and B, I said A, right? I said A and then B. Not, I don't want to say A and then 2. So A and and B, but B, you have so many different uses for it because every animal has it and they need it for their own unique environment. And it is so versatile because like, for example, I did a whole episode on carnivorous plants and the sundew is a carnivorous plant that is a plant that uses you know goo to basically trap insects and dissolve them i mean that's cool that it's not only this isn't just an animal thing it's a plant thing um you know and it's i love that That that's i love the versatility
1: yeah absolutely i mean usually you find slime where the body is in contact um with the environment mm-hmm, right mostly um, that, like you said, evolution, then things change in a big way. And the that, that same holds true for slime, because if you look at the marine animals, they're usually very slimy, even on the outside. So when life went on land, we, we couldn't keep that because it would dry out right, right away. Yeah. We, we couldn't have the slime on the outside. So it all went to the inside and we got the, the, the skin as a really, really dense barrier, mm-hmm. mainly to keep the water in. Of course, to keep pathogens out as well, right. but mainly to keep the water in. But on the inside, every breath we take, every bite we eat during sex and so on, Basically, our insides get in contact with lots of pathogens and lots of parasites, right. and that's usually where we have slimy barriers mm-hmm. that that don't close completely off, um, but have to yeah mediate
0: that contact in a sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because like amphibians, which are really you know the original land, the original uh, bridge between the sea and the land, they're super yeah. slimy. Uh, I mean, you know, from the get-go. They always got to keep themselves moist to some degree. So they haven't... I mean, because they're not fully terrestrial creatures. They're, you know, quasi-terrestrial. They're, you know, both. And that's interesting. And then when you look at the human being... You know, you mentioned that the only really exposed, slimy part on the human body are the eyes. Um, they're they're always yeah. open. I would argue the mouth as well, especially with someone like me who's always flapping my gums. I mean, my <laughs> mouth is, is is pretty gooey, you got a lot of saliva in there, and it's exposed. So I, outside of those two, that's kind of it, really, right?
1: Yeah, that's it. And even on on the eyes, on the surface of the eyes, there's this slime layer, yeah. and then on top of that, we have. I like a lipid layer that's like a fat, a fatty substance that, that keeps the water in. Even on the eyes, it's such a tiny surface, right. but even that can't be exposed
0: all the time. Right. <laughs> and that's, it's crazy, but I mean, that's, that is the difference. And you look at like, a, you know, a barracuda, which are, they're incredibly fast, but they are, they're covered in slime to give the, basically to reduce friction between their body and water. And you don't think that yeah. there would be a lot, but that gives them quite an advantage from a speed standpoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different level on what marine animals are probably, I just don't know that much about that, yeah. uh, um, animals in rivers. Just if you have a a watery environment, of course, you can use slimes on the outside completely in a different way than from what we on land do. Right. But still, I mean, it's it's fascinating enough sure. what we are able to
0: <laughs> do. Sure. I, and I just I put a note here that uh, there's a couple of facts in your book that are quasi-slime related. First are the, the Fugo balloons uh, from Japan, where they tied atomic bombs onto balloons to try to bomb the Western United States. How you fit that into a slime book is pretty fascinating. Uh, and the other one is that sea cucumbers breathe through their anuses. Uh, I, I did a lot of study in marine biology. That one slipped by me and that there's a fish called the pearl fish that lives in there. But because it's covered in slime, it's able to kind of zip in and out of the you know, sea cucumber's butt uh, and kind go unnoticed and just hang out there which is you know
1: <laughs> yeah and they shoot their innards out you know if, if they're attacked they shoot it is like long white strings and they're rather sticky i think and there's also another the toxic substances but the pearlfish that's just covered in a very special slime, again, um, can live in there and survive.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty hostile environment, I I imagine. Uh, So another thing here that's really cool is that, you know, one of the things that's always interested me about biology is that, you know, one of my favorite quotes is that biology is nature's technology, in that there are so many cool things that animals can do that are are biologically based. They're cell-based. They're organisms. You can grow it. And one of them is being able to be have an anti-free an antifreeze property. And in the book you talk about how there are some polar animals including a limpet who can use slime to basically reduce the f- the temperature of freezing so that they don't freeze solid because obviously when you're with animal cells and you when you freeze them they they're destroyed and that'd be the end of the animal. So they kind of use slime to protect themselves. This is this is pretty cool, I think. This is advanced slime. This is the really good stuff in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, slime is like the material of interfaces, sure. like between the organism and, and the environment, or uh, even interfaces between water and, and air and stuff like that. And then in in the end, when I thought, I, I don't really know where to do more research, I think I got it all now. I just thought, where are more interfaces right. <laughs> that I haven't included? It was like, temperature could temperature yeah. be another not an interface but just you know in a sense like there are s- s- switched to one side or the other yeah. and yeah then, then i found this uh, i think two examples it was and i'm sure there's more it has to be um yeah, yeah we always have to remember that slime research op- now there's so much happening mm-hmm. it's really like exploding and i can't even keep up with all the studies that are coming that was different five years ago when, when i researched the book i was so happy to find any publication on not maybe one specific slime but more on the whole phenomenon. Right. And now they're they're everywhere and it's it's just crazy. But I think um, it's not only two. It's never only two examples. There's right. always more. Right. And we just have to wait. Yeah, right.
0: No, definitely. And especially I mean there's lots of you know, I think cuz we as humans are uh, our priorities and animals kind of go well A with cuteness, right? But be with size. We love megafaunas. You know, we love tigers and lions. You know, things that are at the top of the food chain. But we don't think about you know insects and and you know nematodes, small little small little worms that are you know maybe even microscopic. But there, that's the slime world, baby. That's like where you got the slime is the key to survival at those levels um, because the the environment is so hostile. So I think you're right. I think there's going to be other antifreeze properties elsewhere. Um, but you know, I don't think we can really talk about slime without discussing arguably the coolest slime, the smartest slime for sure, and that's the slime mold. You know, uh, if you've watched my show, you know I do several shameless plugs for myself, but on my, my show, fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, we talk about slime molds and, you know, just how they work because they're... You, you've got the greatest description at all, and you call them liquid brains on the move. I don't think I can describe them any better than that. Uh, they are... Technically a slime. They're definitely not a mold. So tell me, how did you get into them and, and what makes them so special? And, you know, I imagine I, I imagine I'm speaking out of turn here, but they must hold a very special place in your heart.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they were like among the, the easy to find organisms since they have the slime in their name. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And I think when when I did, when I started out with the research, there were all these, these studies came out how they navigate. Let's say a maze. Mm-hmm. There are rather famous um, studies where they put the slime all on one end and then their food on the other, and it doesn't take much time for slime to figure out the, the shortest way. Mm-hmm. Which is apparently something that, let's say, computer algorithms—you um, want to in in to, to write them in a way that they find smart solutions um, that are very that are effective, right. right? And here you have that that rather simple organism that's really just one cell with many cell nuclei inside. Right. It's just a slime. It's really just a moving slime. There's no head. There's no neuron. No brain. Nothing, and. Apparently um, sometimes if they compare what like in- engineers do with to the, the maps, it would come up with uh, like um for traffic how how would you connect um, cities and stuff like that. Um, it takes them much longer than that very, very, very simple organism, hmm. so that's one area of course where everyone wants to to replicate what they're doing yeah. um, but in a sense, what fascinated me more was um, that they used the slime has an, uh, like, like an external memory and, and I kept one at home. So I found a, a huge one in a forest once, um, maybe you stumbled two across years it? ago. So, yeah. Yeah. It was huge, Wow, beautiful, really beautiful. And that took just a spoonful home <laughs> um, and I kept it in a jar and put those oats in the, they love oats. Sure. Um, and then I could see that when it, you know, it searches just the whole area and then it will spread out like that, like, like blood vessels. And then it will pull back. And if you if you look then, um, at the glass, you can see it's like a, a ghostly outline of where they were. Okay. It's just like the tiniest structures. Yeah. And that's the slime. They leave a slime behind um, that dries out, but it stays there. It looks like, like a tree without leaves. And when the slime will comes again to the same place, it will recognize its own slime and know, okay, there's no food here. I've been here before. Mm. And we'll just move on. And these wow. slime these trails, they're like like a spatial memory, sure. you know, yeah. so it doesn't have to search the same area again and again. Yeah. And again, this is an organism that couldn't be more simple, not a single neuron or anything. Right. And still it's capable of doing that so that's that's just amazing too and another story I'm not sure if if that's really been verified that that a piece of research, but just like snails do some snails do it seems that um slime molds or at least some slime molds grow food on their own slime, so they leave the sli- this slime behind, okay. and it's it's. Manufactured in a way that it's apparently very beneficial to whatever it is that they're eating, maybe some yeast and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And when they come around again, they can eat it. And that's what limpets do as well, some limpets at least. So they have their own slime garden.
0: Are you making this and up? Uh, are I you making this up? This no. is real?
1: <laughs> no, no. no, no. In, in California, the, the owl limpet, I think. Really? Yeah, the owl <laughs> limpet is called. And it has like this garden. And it's another thing um, that only the, 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 the big ones, the older ones, turn into females and they will garden and the younger ones are males and they try to break in mm-hmm. and and feed there. And then they get bulldozed out
0: of the way. So there's male and female <laughs> slime molds? This is a whole world that you're walking me into. I don't-
1: No, that's, that's the limpets. Oh, the limpets, limpets. Limpid. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, that, that makes, makes way more sense,
0: okay. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, you say that it's simple, but in some ways either, either it's a beauty in its simplicity or they're way more complicated, than we think because if it's one giant cell with a bunch of nuclei, you also talk in your book about biofilms, especially in you know on on the ocean or on rivers and streams where you have clean water but the rocks are covered in a slime. And those are really a network of bacteria working together, kind of in unison at a level that we as humans can't quite understand uh, all the chemistry going on there. And maybe slime molds work in that same way because the way you're talking, I'm just going to extend your computer metaphor a little bit because it they leave that slime on the outside, and that's almost like spatial memory. It's like a hard drive. It's like a biological hard drive. But maybe these slime molds are working like a computer board, and that each nuclei is, you know, their, their own little electrode or whatever that's on a computer board making the process, you know, processing individually, the individual processors. But the slime itself represents... The computer chip where all these yeah. impulses are kind of passed along and in some ways then then it would be a rudimentary computer because it is doing you know calculations it's said it works like an algorithm i mean to me there is so much more going on here that i i think it looks simple but this is to me these are, are creatures that you really have to 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 explore because it's they have you know they have this this they have a memory and one last thing They can even pass on that experience like a thumb drive. Uh, If another slime mold either um, envelops them or or even touches the slime, they can read the slime. And then if you take over another slime mold, now you have their memory. There's a lot going on here, Suzanne. How dare you say that they're simple? These might be the smartest (laughs) creatures on the planet. They look simple. They look simple.
1: uh, But I think the the consequences, um, when when we study organisms like slime molds, um, that we run into trouble if we try to continue define things like intelligence the way we've always Mm -hmm. we've always done right because as it happens, um, intelligence was always defined by having a huge brain, like a huge center uh, of of neurons. Um, and then you have organs, of course, like um, like an octopus uh, that doesn't have a brain like we have, but it's it's spread all it's over got, the yeah, body. It's like a it yeah, crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. it makes incredibly smart decisions. And now you get something like uh, like a slime mold. It's very efficient, smart, in a sense, but not. Intelligent, according to that old definition. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really the beauty in it that you have that completely different, in in a sense, alien organism, mm-hmm. and it in torpedoes just everything we've we've held on to. We're special, and we're intelligent. Sure. So intelligence means you need to have a big brain, right. and an animal with a small brain,
0: it can't be intelligent. Yeah, right. That's gone. On. Well, I think human beings are probably the most self-centered organisms ever to be on planet Earth, because not only do we define everything based on us, we also, you know, in some of your lectures, and it's not just you, it's a lot of people who discuss the the cool things in nature, you almost have to, especially when something's endangered, right? You almost have to say, well, hold on, let's save this thing. Not because it should be saved, not because biodiversity is extraordinarily important to everything on the planet. We have to say, oh well, this can benefit humans by A, B, C, or D, right? I mean, that that's where we are, mm. you know, and I think that that's like that's an inherent hardwired problem with human beings. But you're right. I mean, they are th- intelligence is difficult to describe i think it's also like a slime right you know it when you see it and when i see a slime mold and you're telling me all these things that it can do if it looks intelligent and sounds intelligent well it doesn't really sound intelligent you know what i'm getting at here i think i feel like yeah, it still represents yeah. a form of intelligence
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i have to say that uh, i mean obviously i still write as a journalist a lot about about slime and the new slime studies and whatever um but the, the real the big picture for me is our emotions when it comes to biology and uh, there's so much more i mean slime now is an, an obvious example that it's been ignored for so long just because we find it revolting right right but i also write about parasites now or snakes huh. uh, stuff like that because they're also incredibly important but we, either we fear them or we find them gross i mean parasites you have to say that at least Fifty percent of all animal species are parasitic, at least at times in their lives. Like like the cuckoo, just uh, uh, when they're young, and then they have like right. a not non-parasitic life. Right. But at least fifty percent right. of all animals. But yeah. we treat them as the exception, but they're really the rule.
0: Right. You know. Yeah.
1: Because it could be up to eighty percent. And uh, things like that. And and we need them. I mean, all the food webs need them. But it's so easy to ignore them. And you will not be able to get some funding to preserve a parasite. It's just impossible. Because we, we like birds, we like mammals stuff like that. And that's that's where the money goes.
0: No, you're right. I mean, it's, it's the priority, cute versus big. And then we go down the list. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I like to think of myself as, you know, biology first kind of guy. I understand the importance of the food web and every animal is important. You know, even when you look at... Here in Florida, they were trying to release genetically engineered mosquitoes to stop the mosquito problem. They're doing it in Africa a lot because malaria is a problem. There's lots of diseases um, that get transferred in places that have a lot of mosquitoes and they don't have the sanitation to to solve those problems. And I get on one level that that makes sense. But mosquitoes are food to a lot of creatures, and so you start getting rid of mosquitoes. You're, you're. That's at the bottom, right? I mean, you're now you're destroying the foundations of this tower, uh, this Jenga tower that is the the food web. You can't move too many of those blocks. But I will tell you, and I'm telling the story for a reason. So uh, my, I have a dog, and I would argue, and I have in the past, that dogs are the the cutest parasite in the world, next to babies. Babies are also parasites, so even we go through that phase. But my dog is allergic to flea medication, so if she takes flea medication, you know she gets really sick and can't handle it. So I have to bathe her and comb her all the time. Where I live. There is a flea epidemic. So every day I've got to comb these stupid things. And I hate fleas. And I have to say, I have to resist the urge to want to eliminate fleas from existence. They are the worst parasite in the world. And I got to stop myself, Suzanne, because they are important somewhere. Um, You don't have to tell me why, but I do recognize that they're important. But I got to resist that urge like I imagine you do as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, there there are more and more uh, researchers who work on parasites and say we have to protect them, we have to know them. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're totally understudied. We don't even know what's out there. And very often they have these complex lifestyles where you wouldn't even recognize, you know, stage one, that it belongs to stage two and stage three, and then they're hidden in their hosts and whatever. Um, And no one would argue that we should keep um, human parasites or ones that uh, afflict like pets things like that so no one no one's campaigning for them even though i have to say there's this um, there's this one um, really gruesome worm like a long worm that um infects human and it's almost eradicated just i think two countries more in africa um, um where, where you can find it and I, I talked to one parasitologist who said in in one way or another we should keep it you know that that worm has evolved over millions of years and is completely adapted to our immune system Mm -hmm. and it's it's able as it's like up to a meter long to hide in our body that means it's like it's like a treasure trove of of molecules that we could use to, to influence, oh, maybe if you have an allergy, maybe they can damp it down and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So how do you do? It? Maybe, yeah, it it can apparently infect dogs as well. Or he said, maybe we find some brave students. <laughs> 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 um, if <laughs> we what? pay enough, they will roll up around you. To, to but it, yeah, mad so scientist.
0: That's,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the only reason to to keep them around, not to be like you know um, to infect people just like that, but maybe to use them, then that would be the
0: only reason to keep them. Well, I like, I mean, I like that you went dark there. I mean, you went very Victor Frankenstein there. <laughs> the, uh, that's in fact, the, the students who want to do it. I mean, look, uh, very quickly, I will say that that's an interesting argument because as someone who recognizes the, the, that something that's evolved for that long should be around. We shouldn't. I mean, you're basically running it, making it extinct because it's it's very um, inconvenient to us and our pets, which is not the right way to handle it. On the other hand, you could make another naturalistic argument that it's survival of the fittest, baby. If it can't handle our 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 power uh, and it only affects us. We're running it out of town. It's time has come. So I think you could go both ways with that, but I, I love the intellectual argument. All right, so uh, we're rounding up here. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about pop culture and slime. We're going to do a 10-minute bonus episode here, which I, I'm very excited about. But in the meantime, you know, we're, we're going to leave it with, you, with your dark thoughts of infecting college students. So if anyone else wants to follow <laughs> that same path or learn more about slime, which is probably the better way to go, how can people find you, find your book, uh, and really Get into this because I feel like this is a field that is only growing.
1: So far, the book's only been published in Germany and in the UK, but it'll be out uh, in two months, I think, in, in the States. Uh, there's a yes edition, so uh, everyone can
0: get informed on Slime <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Slime and Natural History. And what about you? Do, you? do you do social media or anything? You have a website?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter and now on Mastodon, um, starting out. Um, so you can, you can find me there under at Suzanne Wedlich. <laughs>
0: Uh, but that's great. I'm actually going to try to get on Macedon as well. But until then, you can find this show on fascinatingnouns.com. And we're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Fascinating Noun, Facebook, Fascinating Nouns. And if you want to watch, if you're only listening to the audio version of this show, you're missing out. Check us out the video, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn is the place to do that. Uh, so, this is uh, uh, what a great book. Suzanne, you really you nailed it. And I think this is going to be a growing field because there's so many versatile slimes out there. And as you know, you got to sell it to the human beings. And it's 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 pretty versatile, pretty useful. Um, But uh, but I want to thank you for introducing me to it and for being on the show today. It's just been an absolute pleasure. So thank you.
1: No, thank you. It's been fascinating. I love to talk about slime.
0: (laughs) 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 And so do I. I'm loving it as well. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night fascinating nouns is a Glencoe co production and is hosted and produced by me daniel j glenn the show producer for this episode was sarah brandt the fascinating nouns introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and ea body and with music and sound design written and performed by ea body and toes and i'm guessing after listening to this you never want to miss another episode you're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is, once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media, and you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of FascinatingNouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.